All right, I am, I have pressed the add button so Marcus can join in and he's there. Welcome, sir. Hey, how you doing? Good to finally meet you. Sort of a little closer in person anyway. A absolutely. So uh, you're very busy, I presume, right? Uh, yeah, uh, call time, trying to save the world, trying to turn Arizona into a progressive blue, um, having conversations with people in the district uh, and, you know, pushing issues that are important to society and important to progressives and important to free people. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty busy. And raising money. Raising money sucks, but it's, it's what you got to do to win races. Necessary evil to some extent. Right. All right. Well, very nice to finally meet you. And thank you for coming on Real Progressives. And uh, we spoke briefly uh, a few days ago. And uh, I think we're going to struggle keeping this to, you know, under like four hours or so. So you're, <laughs> right. you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna have to let me know, but yeah, uh, I'm looking no forward problem. to this. All right, Absolutely. good. Okay, so um, Marcus Farrell, you are running for state representative in Arizona. LD24. You, LD24, where geographically roughly is that? So uh, uh, my district is, my district is, um, right north of sky harbor the airport here in phoenix it is literally south scottsdale all the way through uh to 19th avenue so central phoenix if you look at a map and you read the word phoenix uh, that most likely is uh, above uh is 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 where my district is is literally in the middle of phoenix so we are uh, immediately north of downtown our, our neighborhood encompasses uh, the historic districts on the west side of the, the district, um, some very working class, upper class, I mean, you know, middle class to upper lower, lower class uh, neighborhoods in the middle of the district. And then Scottsdale, you know, and when you think Scottsdale, Arizona, you think very prestigious sometimes, right? But um, the, the working class portion of Scottsdale is in the southern end, and that also encompasses my district. Okay. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, so you are running, so you're running, you're running your campaign. How, how long ago did you declare, like that you, you know, November. that you intended to run? I, de I declared, I declared November 20, uh, November 2017. Um, after I left uh, Stacey Abrams' campaign, I decided to run for, uh, um, I was the deputy campaign manager for Stacey Abrams, and then I decided to jump out of her race. Uh, and, and run for and run for office over here in in um, in, uh, in Phoenix. Okay, so so you are running for state representative. You declared and you just said you declared in November 17, 2017. So tell us about your campaign. I want to know about your platform. I presume that it's pretty much what we are going to expect as progressives. That it's just you know pretty much everything we want. And I also want to know. You said a little bit before, but I want to know a little bit more about you know, the specific needs of your area and your constituents. Right. So uh, my, my platform, my platform is, um, is take Bernie Sanders, uh, take most progressives and then add a lot more African-American and a lot more Latino to it. Right. Uh, my platform, you know, I want to, I believe in a living wage here in Arizona. If you're a single person, it takes you seven, $17 and 50 cents an hour in order for you to take care of your, your apartment and then be able to live with one job. So, uh, and it takes $23 an hour uh, to, to do it if you have a family. So I believe in a living wage. 
um, I, I, in Arizona, a very big thing is the is the Red for Ed movement uh, and education, right? Paying and fully funding our, our our schools here in Arizona. So I also am a firm believer that we need to uh, that that our teachers need to be paid uh, at least twenty percent more, and we need to fully fund our education here in the state of Arizona. Um, Can you remind us the name uh, of that program again? You just said it's called Red for Ed, and you need to get to know it because it's one of the biggest movements here in 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 uh, Phoenix and in, in Arizona. Uh, uh, and it's uh, and right now we're pushing a ballot initiative called Invest in Ed, uh, investing in education. Uh, basically, we want a progressive tax on the wealthy uh, to make sure that we fully fund the education system here in Phoenix. So um, here in Arizona. So, so to be clear, that that's that, that is a state level tax that you're talking about. That is a state level tax. That is something that is direct that I when elected I directly have uh, that's directly relevant to my position. Um, uh, as a state representative, um, uh, you know, I want to I want to expand Medicaid here in the state, Medicare here in the state. I, I fully I fully believe in that. In the state of Arizona, uh, Arizona is the biggest tax, one of the biggest tax havens for wealthy corporations and people in America, uh, and they do not pay their fair share. Therefore, everything in this state is underfunded. Just in Arizona, um, I know we have we we could have a conversation about. Uh, about money, modern money, like you like, like to talk about, but in Arizona, just in this state, uh, they, uh, there is a there is a billion dollar shortfall that is uh, missing from the coffers that our wealthy folks don't have to pay their taxes, and we, we need to fix that. And everyone knows that. His Red for Ed movement is actually pushing to change that. Um, uh, you know, and actually, the, the, that first Red for Ed, R E D, the color Red for Ed, R E D F O R E D. Okay. Hashtag R E D F O R E D. Okay. Um, yeah. And and I want to abolish the private prison industry here in the state. Uh, uh, the private prison industry in the state is akin to slave uh, is akin to slavery, where a very few small amount of uh, of men, white men, are getting paid uh, millions and millions of dollars off the backs of poor working class African Americans, Latinos, and white people, and indigenous people. And uh, and you know we have a school system here that is akin to Jim Crow. Whereas the amount of African Americans and Latinos increased in public <clears throat> schools, the amount of funding for these same schools decreased at, at a major level. So in Arizona, Arizona is close to uh, when they say make America great again, they want to make America somewhat of what Arizona has been doing for the past 20 years. Uh, that is just defunding everything, um, having Joe Arpaio's run around the state and target Latinos and African Americans just for being. Uh, and, and that is something that we uh, that we need to change. So my platform is pretty simple, right? I, I want to make sure that we fund education in the private prison industry here in this state, uh, make sure that we fully fund fully fund education in this state. And uh, on, on last thing, I want to legalize cannabis and tax it like uh, alcohol. Uh, we can't use that money for a public school because we, we, we would lose federal funding. But what we could do is do things like uh, fund after school programs and start teaching kids how to code. So that's my little platform in, in, in a in a bunch. I believe in I believe in everything that Bernie believes in. Uh, I believe in everything that uh, that uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez believes in. Um, uh, I believe in I believe that there's ways that we can uh, take this state to the next level. And the last thing is we have the sunniest state in America in Arizona. Yet we have we're number I believe number ten in solar energy production 
or number somewhere either number 10 or number eight and we're like number five or number six in solar energy jobs that has to change and i want to make sure that we have job placements for latinos african-americans in that industry also okay great so you have been endorsed by our revolution our revolution national um yes. so what are the what are some other uh, I'll let me ask two questions one what are some other major support that you've gotten clearly you, you've been doing this for a while so clearly you've gotten some support um, yeah. And also, is there any differences between, I guess, you know, disagreements or differences between what you want and what, you know, we all understand Bernie Sanders to the platform be? Oh, um, yeah. So, okay, I'll go through my endorsements, then I'll answer your second question. So my endorsements are our revolution, uh, national and Arizona. I've been endorsed by, uh, 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 I've been endorsed by uh, DSA Phoenix. Uh, Democratic Socialists of America, Phoenix chapter. Uh, I've been endorsed by the Collective PAC, and that's one of the largest African-American uh, PACs uh, in America. And that's important work uh, because African-Americans don't have a lot of political action committees that support their campaigns in a righteous way. Um, uh, we can get support, but we, you know, we typically have to sell out our values uh, to get, get the big funding and the big support. I've been endorsed by uh, uh, DFA, um, uh, uh, Democracy for America. I've been endorsed by CWA. I've been endorsed by, let's see, uh, the people for Bernie Sanders. I've been endorsed by Nina Turner. I've been endorsed by uh, uh, Dr. Cornell West. Uh, I've been endorsed by by pretty much uh, just across uh, Stephen Bishop. So pretty much most of Bernie world has endorsed my campaign uh, when it comes down to uh, to like you know like I guess the celebrity endorsements. I'm still friends with Killer Mike. Uh, he supports my campaign also, um, the, you know, and and if there are any differences. I'm not jealous. I just want to be clear about that. And say again. I said, I'm not jealous. I just want to be clear about that. Oh, <laughs> I am not jealous. I just want to be clear about <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, so so and, 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 uh, oh, and you know, I, I, there's a couple of unions. See, uh, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up all the folks who are supporting me. So I'm just going to table that. But there are a lot of organizations, progressive organizations, that are supporting my campaign. Uh, Working Families Party. I forgot about that. They're supporting my campaign also. Um, and, and you know. Okay. So uh, great. So so you have some pretty broad support. So go on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Planned Parenthood. Um, Advocates of Arizona, they supported my campaign, which was, you know, which was a surprising move because in a district like this and uh, and they are showing like Planned Parenthood is showing that they want to diversify, uh, not only diversify, but also have more progressive uh, people that are in their their ranks. So I'm proud to stand with Planned Parenthood uh, also. Um, OK, so uh, so uh, hold uh, the, the platform differences, uh, which you're about to do. But let me interrupt with that. Do you expect actually. Uh, it's a state race, and I guess you know it's generally been unusual. But do you expect Bernie himself to consider endorsing your? Uh, nah, he might consider it, but I don't expect it because I haven't asked for it. Uh, to be honest with you, and I don't, it's not that I, I don't oh. have a problem with, okay. with asking him for it, but I just to be honest with you, is uh, I haven't seen him endorse a state race. I see him endorse congressionals and mayorials and governors' races, uh, but you know, and that's that's fine by me. Um, to be honest with you, you know, I, I can push the values that are needed. And I think people in this district know, like I've let folks know that, I, hey, look, I, I was one of Bernie's first employees on his presidential campaign. Um, I, you know, I was his national African-American outreach director. Uh, no one and nothing can take that away from me because of my beliefs and because of the work that I've done in the past. 
organizing nationally for different issues, uh, ranging from police brutality against African-American men to, you know, fighting for 15, to immigrants, to, you know, to fighting for women's rights uh, and women's health care. Uh, you know, that folks are endorsing me on my own, Mary, and that's pretty cool. Okay. So, okay. So you were going to say, are there any significant platform differences that you have between what, you know, progressives expect from Bernie and so on and what, what you have? Do you have any differences or disagreements as far as the uh, Bernie I, platform I, I is do. concerned? I, I do. I have, I have, a, I have a, a few disagreements. Um, the progressive space is, is, that is just now coming into the realization that African Americans and, and people of color, that, that race, and this, and this is probably a Trump thing, uh, and I think Bernie had a problem with this also, that race is important to, race is an issue along with class. Uh, if you fix class issues, that doesn't necessarily mean race issues don't just go away. For instance, if everybody is equal and, and there will still be racist police officers, right? Um, I, I truly believe that. Uh, there's a, there, this movement has, is just now getting into that, and I believe we're just now getting into that because Donald Trump has has actually exacerbated uh, 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 wanting to keep brown and black people out of America, right? And the browning of America. Um, so even Bernie is starting to, you know, do more outreach and speak more to pe people of color and endorse more black candidates like Stacey Abrams in Georgia and like Ben Jealous, who, you know, he was already going to endorse Ben, but there's, the, the, it's starting to become, the progressive movement is starting to become more uh, aware that color and race is an issue. Uh, at, at three years ago, if you had a conversation, everybody in this, a lot of people in this country thought that race and class, race issues could be fixed by class. Um, I completely disagree with that. I think as an African-American man, I know that even if we have a completely socialist society, there is still going to be issues with race included in that. And so I won't say it's a difference. It's just that I'm organically a, a black progress that, you know, Medicare for all. And I believe that, you know, uh, we need to have wages that are higher. And I believe that you need to abolish ICE, you know, and I, because here's another thing. A lot of people don't understand this. ICE is... Um, ICE affects black people also. Go to Florida, go to New York, go to, uh, go to Atlanta. Uh, there are such, such things as African and black immigrants that have the same exact issues as Latino people, right? So it's not just a brown issue. It's just that it's more profound. But ICE goes after Haitian Americans every day in the state of Florida. ICE goes after, uh, ICE goes after African immigrants every day in New York. Uh, and it's just as prevalent of a problem. So, uh, you know, I, that, that would be the biggest difference with me, right, is, is uh, not even just I've organically been about class and race, while I think a lot of progressives have been growing into that space. Okay. You said um, race issues cannot be fixed by class. And that, that I think, e equates to economics, that uh, I actually am a little surprised to hear that, that it seems to me that you have to fix economics in order to that that economics is at the root of it. Not that there's other, not that there is not other issues, oh, but yeah, it I, seems I like economics agree. is indeed at the root of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree that econ no economics is not 
purely at the root of it. Like, um, we've grown past that. Um, and, but I do think economics is a part of it because in generation, the first generation of African slaves that were here in this country was pure economics. I agree with that portion. But after that, it became a power thing, more than just economics. Um, race issues are also an issue of power, of who is, who is, who is uh, subservient to another class of folks. Uh, so when I think about police departments, uh, police departments might be working in the economic, some police departments, not all of them, but some police officers might be working for the economic interest of higher ups by targeting African-Americans. But for the most part, police departments now have a culture of targeting African-Americans and Latino peoples. It is a culture thing, okay. too. So we can't, yeah. and I, I can't, so I cannot with clear conscience say it's a purely you know, economical issue when some folks, there are very poor white folks who are still, you know, organically against the browning and the blackening of this country. And, and it's not because of economics alone, it's because of culture, it's because of culture, it's because of, it's because of, 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 of sheer, class, sheer class divide and sheer uh, racial divide. Okay. All right. So that's fair enough. I, I do think that there, I think that even the example you gave of police going after minorities, basically, very roughly speaking, that I think it's significantly due, and I don't think you're going to disagree with this, but I think it's significantly due to that political power is based on economics, that the rich people who are mostly white are gone are, you know, by the politicians and therefore that affects the police and the system of the police. But, um, but that, that doesn't change the fact that we need to attack it from all these different angles and issues. So I, I don't think we're disagreeing right. so much. Um, okay. Right, right. So I, I wanted to say something to the crowd. I wanted to say something to the crowd before we go on and that just to be clear that this is a state race that we're talking about here and that he, uh, that modern money is, you know, does not affect the state. So when he says we need to tax the rich in order to, that's us at a state level and that's appropriate. Um, you know, we're going to probably very briefly touch on that subject later. Um, but I just want to be clear, this is a state race. So we really are talking about households and so on. We're not talking about creating money. Um, okay. So you were saying a big issue with you, maybe the biggest, is being a person of color as a progressive. That the progressive movement has a lot to learn as far as relating to the African-American or minority communities. So you know, I, I actually was thinking about that after we briefly spoke before and that I've, I personally pride myself on reaching out to the Trump community and that I'm very open with who I am and I have friends in the Trump community. I live stream their events. They keep inviting me back, letting them be who they are without humiliating them and, you know, telling them that they're wrong, but still, you know, the, the art of disagreeing without dis being disagreeable, I think is a lost art. And right. what that brings, what that makes me think of with you is that, yeah, I'm trying to reach out with those who disagree with me and that's, that's a good thing. But I think what you're suggesting is that we should be reaching out to people that agree with us that we don't know how to connect to. So Absolutely. being a person of color as a progressive, you feel you feel excluded to some extent. So that's the beginning of this issue. So, so tell us, please. 
if you if you look around the progressive space, there is. I mean, just get a room of progressives together anywhere in America. That room is going to be pretty white. It, it is, um, and and it's not. And here's the thing: there you have organic partners in in communities of color that is just that are just not engaged at the same level. I mean, I'm very proud of Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez. And the reason why I am is she pushed progressive, she's one of the first people in America to push progressive values to everyone and spend equal resources on her campaign and talking to the Puerto Ricans that were, and, and the people of color in her district. That is, uh, that is something that is, I believe is missing across the board. Let's look at let's look at the progressive world. Besides Tim Black, and besides you know maybe a Noah and a few others, there's not many well-known African American and Latino progressive pundits, operatives uh, across the board, right? Just like there's not many African American or progressive pundits on national television, right? Like I can say the same thing for you know, the, 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 the mainstream media, that they don't have many honest progressive politics uh, 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 people that are, you know, blatantly on television on a consistent basis. And, uh, and I, I think that we're missing natural allies by doing that. But so, for instance, when you think about progressive platforms, you think about, okay, let's talk about, we talk about Medicare for all. We're talking about abolishing ICE. But have you noticed something? Uh, one of the most progressive things you can do is fight gentrification. That's a progressive thing to do, but yet it's not on the top of everybody's tongue, right? Because that's not that's not necessarily an issue. Why? Because there are a lot of progressive people who are involved in gentrifying neighborhoods, right? So, I mean, there it it, it is a separation, and I think we're missing out on a ton of natural allies in the Latino and Black community, like. You know, there are, don't get me wrong, there are a lot of cons, uh, uh, conservative African-Americans. Like, and, and historically, the black community has operated out of the black church, right? So in the black church, we, we've organized around the black church. So the black church is a more conservative entity in general. There are a lot of African-Americans now who do not involve themselves or organize in the church space. It's a very big conversation in the African-American community about how black folks don't no longer organize in the black in the black church and utilize as that first tool. Black Lives Matter does not necessarily go to the church spaces first. They create their own space. So there's a whole generation of African-Americans who are not conservative, Latinos who are not conservative, who have progressive values, but aren't in these spaces and therefore you have, you know, what ends up happening is you have problematic uh, conversations um, uh, where, where in, in being inclusive, you know, and, and, and being diverse and being inclusive and being really intersectional doesn't happen because it's like you always look at race as a separate thing. I will give props to where props is due. Uh, most progressives believe that black lives matter, but th those decisions about Black and Latino aren't necessarily covered in 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 when the when the talking points go out and when the money goes out, right? Uh, there's not major door knocks in, in African American and Latino communities uh, when you have a statewide race. So you know, I, 
even if it's progressive. So I believe that 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 can change. Okay, so progressives clearly have. You agree with most of the progressive platform. I mean, I think that's that's I'm, obvious. I'm, I'm, yeah. So, but there is still some sense of I'm guessing, I'm guessing that the the white major majority of the progressive movement, which I think is fair in my narrow vision of the world, is pushing for the right stuff overall. But I'm only guessing that you would think, given your community, that we're doing it in a paternalistic way. Is that fair? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's very fair. Um, and what's funny about that is that the movement, our progressive movement, has all of its roots in the civil rights movement. All of it. And now that the, the movement has grown and we're starting to speak as democratic socialists and we're starting to speak as progressive Democrats and we're starting to speak at, on that level, it's, it's ironic to me the, 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 how paternal some of the conversations are, right? Um, uh, I've even heard progressives get upset when Black Lives Matter shuts down the highway, right? <laughs> like, uh, because they're not getting even, they're not, because that's not how a certain group wants to protest, right? Um, let's, look at, let's look at issues where African Americans are protesting, right? They, you know, you have, you'll have a, 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 a you have a, you'll have a, a, a police killing of a black, an unarmed black man, like my cousin, Jonathan Farrell. Um, and the protest will be all black folks and maybe three or four white people. Now, if there's a fight for 15 rally in any major city, you're going to see a bunch of black folks show up. If there is a, if there is a Medicare for all rally, you'll see African-Americans show up. But the, the, in return, it just doesn't happen at the same degree. And, and, and th those are things that could possibly be changed. Not, you know, and so, so I don't, but here's the thing. There's a lot of black progressives who completely agree with every single progressive platform, right? I have no problem with saying abolish ICE, but there are people who will say abolish ICE, but they won't say reform the police departments or reform the criminal justice system as fast because those are full pause. There is, there is some kind of entrenched thought process with some people, progressives, Republicans, white people, just some of them, there is some thought that um, maybe if he pulled his pants up, he shouldn't have gotten that. Or maybe they need to be doing something differently or they're just not doing it like us. Instead of understanding how institutionalized racism is in America, even, in the, even on the left, racism is still in, 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 uh, institutionalized. We're talking about, mm -hmm. if you talk about resources for campaigns, I've been on three major campaigns where we had to beg for money for black outreach, right? And, and beg for resources for black outreach, right? Because, because what comes first, the chicken or the egg? People look at us like we're not gonna vote, but no one ever comes and pushes those progressive values in the community to make us wanna vote, right? So it's like, what comes first, chicken or the egg? So, you know, I, I do believe that, that, that it is sort of paternalistic uh, in nature, and we're not, we're not looking and creating allies in the black community as we could, because, you know, African-Americans 
the the millennials they're looking they're basically looking for a political home all of them are just blind democrats all of them are they're definitely not going republican they should be naturally natural allies to the progressive movement but the but the space is almost blocked out the so yeah so this is interesting because again i you know my instinct has been I want to reach out to those who disagree with me, so I'm reaching out to the Trump community. But meanwhile, I, as speaking as the progressive movement, which I have no right to do, but I'm doing, I'm ignoring all the people who generally agree with me, but are sitting on the sidelines and saying, "Listen, you know, we like what lot what you're doing, but we feel like we're being pushed off to the side." And so it's like we're uncomfortable with the way that you protest. And I don't know. It's it, I don't exactly know what I'm saying, but the. So I spoke to you about modern money, which I'm not getting into yet, but me and another gentleman on Real Progressives, Jeff Ginter, who is my modern money teacher, we're reaching out to disadvantaged communities to teach modern money. So we, we reached out to uh, a local chapter of Black Lives Matter. And the first reaction that I got was, very, and I know the person, I know this person who's uh, the, on the, the board of this chapter. And the first reaction that I got is like, you got to be careful because you two white guys coming in and telling us what's best for us and what we need to know is not going to come across good. So I said, you're, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. We can't come in and shove it down your throat. We have to know where you're coming from, what is important to you. Do you want to know this to begin with? And a surprising reaction that I got was, it seems like a lot of, not a lot, it seems like some of the members, a significant amount of the members are what they say is against capitalism and that modern money is based on capitalism, which is not, that particular thing is not correct, but it doesn't matter because they are against capitalism and some of them want to dismantle capitalism. And this mm -hmm. is a perspective that I had never thought of before. So mm -hmm. I don't think... And actually, just as a very quick aside, learning modern money will help you dismantle it quicker. And that's what I told her, that if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I will, don't personally choose it. But learning this will help you do it better. And that's, not, that's something that I never would have thought of, you know, unless she stood up and said, you can't just come in and do this. You can't just come in and, get, and teach us this college course. You need to understand where we're coming from. So, right. That's very related to what you're saying. That well, 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 it's a mess. It's, 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 it's messaging and relationships. Like you can teach whatever you want to if they trust you. You can teach whatever you you can you can come in and create whatever conversation you want to create if people already if you already are it's already normalized that you're in a space like that. The problem is is you know I got a bright idea. Let me go teach the black people. It's never going to work out. Instead of I got a bright idea. Let me converse among my brothers and sisters. You understand what I'm saying? Um, it's a difference. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, the first conversation can't happen uh, with black, with the black and Latino community. The first conversation can't happen three months, um, a month before election day, right? You have to, you have to be year round. You have to be organizing in the space for, for, for long periods of time so you can build trust. And they can trust you. And so, so like, if it's modern money, if it's a new organizing style, if it's you guys should wear green jackets instead of blue jackets, whatever it is, it takes a relationship 
to actually have that conversation. And the thing that I'm saying about the progressive movement is that we haven't even, the progressive movement hasn't across the board stuck his hands out and said, okay, hi, black community, what do you need, right? Um, in, yeah. in general, right? The only time we hear from the, the progressive movement in general is like almost only when black men get killed. And, and that yep. is, that's not yep. the only time. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. You're actually, the way that you're talking now is how I, as a progressive, feel with my friends who are not progressives. That basically, we got to vote in the, the available Democrat because he's way better than the Republican. We cannot risk the devil Republican. So we can't push them harder to be better. Now, the difference is, is between me and them, I don't agree with their policies. They're centrists and, you know. Right. The progressives in the African-American progressive movement obviously agree generally on policy, but it seems actually the same feeling. It seems what you just told me just reminded me of how I, I feel with the, the people who don't like Bernie and, you know, we can't risk losing to a Republican, therefore we can't push him, which means that he's only going to win by a whisker, you know, so we can't push him to be better because he, he's, you know, not doing what's good for the people. Um, that's very similar. So, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so tell us, what would you recommend from the media point of view, progress, truly progressive media, like TYT, Tim Black, John, Jimmy Dore, uh, Kyle Kolinsky, all that stuff. What would you recommend be different from their point of view and from my point of view as just a progressive who does want to, uh, you know, naively before I would say reach out to those who disagree with me, but now I need to reach out to people who are closer to me that agree, but are just totally live different existences, live different lives, have different perspectives. What would right. you, what would, what do you, what should happen? What needs to happen? Okay. So let's talk about TYT. I'm going to say, I'm going to start with TYT. There is no reason on God's green earth that a Noah Changa and Ben Dixon haven't been offered major contracts by TYT. Right. They're like people who are progressive voices who understand the nuances of African-American community, right? Uh, be allowed on a major platform and, and not have to create their own, right? Um, th that hasn't happened and I don't understand why, right? We don't, we don't elevate the, like there's not a lot of elevation from progressive media of black people. Tim Black created his own business. It's very simple. Tim Black became his own personality and created his own following. But we will elevate, we will elevate a young white progressive and throw that person on television and say, he's the, that's the next sink or that's the next, you know, that's the next, uh, that's the next, here's the next, whatever. Right. But you don't see that a lot from the African-American community in the progressive world. Um, and, and, and it's, and what I think the change starts where it can't just be white men deciding who in the progressive movement is going to be next and what's important for the progressive movement. I mean, I love Bernie Sanders to death, but I've been very vocal about, you know, him and his 2016 campaign not having a circle of, 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 of you know, diverse people to speak to him. Now, now he has a diverse circle of people, right? But in the 2016 campaign, he didn't. And that, and that showed in some of the decisions that were made. Uh, trust me, I was there. I, I know. I saw it firsthand. So, you know, I mean, and that, and that is just repeated too much. It's like, this is how you become a progressive. And we don't want to become 
what the centrist Democrats have become, where it's like the, the, the progressive consultants and the progressive uh, media uh, wants to enrich one group of people, right? Because just because we're a movement doesn't mean that we don't like money. And some of this stuff has to do with money. Even progressive candidates have consultants. Are those consultants Latino? Are those consultants Black? Are those consultants women? Uh, or are they the same white men who used to be centrist consultants who are now taking over the progressive space? And that's the same thing with the media. And that's the same thing with talking points. And that's the same thing with leadership and organizations. Um, if you look at most of the progressive organizations, I can only think of one or two that have a black woman or a black man or a Latino woman or man at top. And that's that's OR and, and I believe Justice Democrats, right? But still, you know, so OR, and, and if you notice something, a lot of people have a problem with our revolution recently because our revolution has become, has been becoming a more diverse place. And that makes a lot of organic progressives very uncomfortable, right? Now, listen, I only have these conversations about progressives because I am a progressive. Here's the thing. I don't want to talk to Republicans like that. I don't want to. I don't want to have these super conversations with centrist Democrats because centrist Democrats can hurt people of color. Republicans can hurt people of color. Progressives aren't supposed to be the ones that hurt people of color. And and sometimes the decisions that can that that are sexual enough. And it doesn't include enough women and it doesn't include enough uh, people of color. So how can we fix it? Diversify your leadership in every single organization. Diversify your leadership. If you're having a, if you're having a conversation about and you, you, your board or your leadership or your organization is all white or white presenting people, and I hope you understand what I mean by white presenting. You could be black, but you'd be white presenting. You could be Latino, but you could be white presenting. Um, and not just truly people from the community that are affected the most, that are a part of your base, then you have a problem. So it starts with actually like, like Alcoholics Anonymous. You have to start with admitting that you have a problem and then go from there. Okay. So because of these things that you just said, you have chosen to go on to traditional media, onto mainstream media. And yeah. we spoke on the phone where we said, my personal philosophy is that we shouldn't be stepping on into the door of a media that wants to tear us down. But you are in a position where you're not invited onto truly progressive media. So that puts you in a hard spot. So you right. said that you told me that you do go on to Joanne Reed sometimes, even though you know that she has some issues. So talk about that. So my, my philosophy is yeah, that we should so, be, yeah, go ahead. So, so first off, I like Joy, because Joy likes me, like she's a friend, like, some of her some of her policies and some of the thought, her thought process is not uh, progressive, right? But she'll let me have a a national medium uh, to go on her national medium and speak about my progressive policies. I've never got like most of my friends don't get invites and, and, and to be interviewed on TYT and things like that. Now here I am, you know, I'm the former African American outreach director for Bernie Sanders, and no one in my department, no one in, like unless your name is Nina Turner, you don't really get uh, invites to talk about progressive values as an African-American. So I'm going to go with who invites me, right? Like, I don't have the luxury of being like, let me call up the producers for, you know, whatever show and let me talk about what my progressive value, because I don't get the invites. So if I don't get an invite on your show, uh, you know, I'm not going to be the one who's going to sit up here and say, not go on joy. So, so where do I get to go? 
what what venue do I get to speak on? Um, I'm not I'm not going to do that. I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take any venue I have, and if I have to fight neoliberals, if I have to fight conservatives about speaking as a black progressive, I'll do it on that venue because I don't have the option to just not go in the door. You know, like because there's like and I and I see it. Like I'm one of the top black progressives in America. I see, and you haven't heard my name before recently, right? Um, and and I know most of the top black progressives in America personally, or know of them, and they know of me. But you don't see them on mainstream progressive talk. You don't see them on mainstream anything, really. We are the most, being a progressive of color is the most hidden thing ever. The only progressive of color y'all know about right now is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nina Turner. Besides that, and, and look how many progressives get elevated across the world, like across America. But besides those two women, there's not many progressive colors that, that make a lot of noise. You got Ben, you got Tim. Um, but but politician-wise, elected official-wise, no. Politician-wise, no. Um, you know, there's a few more, but but when it comes down to percentages, and this is another reason why I say, you know, being inclusive, we're not doing our best to talk to a base of people who can easily be the, the people power behind the progressive movement and make the next president of the United States be a progressive or whatever color. Because we're not giving our values and we're not showing people who look like that community. We're not showing them that we have people who look like you in that community. So yeah, I'm gonna go on Joy. And I don't care what anybody says, right? Because I get to talk, I get to argue on that show a, a, a viewpoint that even my progressive brothers don't even allow me to do on their show. Okay, fair enough. So my last question about specific media opinion is when you do go on that show and your experiences on going on those shows, do you feel like, number one, that you actually can say what you want to say while you're there and that it comes out through the editing process? Well, so if you watch me on MSNBC Live, uh, there's nobody editing me, right? Uh, when I was on Joy Ann Reed's show two weekends, last weekend, weekend before last, um, I blatantly said, like, you know, abolishing ICE, right? Something that is faux pas. Now, my clip didn't show up, but I said it, and and Joy never said to me, you can talk about this and you can't talk about that. Like, I know her producers. I know her team. and They're, they're amazing people, right? <clears throat> they, like, they are, they are not, Neil, they are not, far left progressives though. That's that's not what they are. But they allowed me the space to say what I wanted to say. And they didn't they didn't tell me you can't say that, right? Joy didn't give me a hard time, right? Like, you know, so I'm I'm not gonna and here's another thing. Yeah, I'm a progressive, but I'm also black. And I have a black perspective as a progressive. Joy as a black woman organically respects my my progressive blackness because she wants to see, because we're not a monolith. And she knows that. So that's another reason why I got to go on those things. What is What happens, this is the last thing I'll say, what happens is that people tend to be a little uncomfortable. Um, people tend to be a little, a tiny bit uncomfortable uh, with, with saying progressive values and then adding on issues of people of color on top of that. That makes people uncomfortable. Why do we got to talk about a Black Lives Matter? Why do we have to talk about gentrification? Why do we have to talk about you know, uh, the school to prison pipeline, like that makes some folks uncomfortable. So 
but but yeah, she. So I I I was never controlled by Joy. No one ever gave me talking points. I get on if I go on her show, I say whatever I want. And you weren't misleadingly edited. That's that's the important thing. No, you might no. not have been put on, but they didn't misleadingly edit you. Okay, so no. that's good. No. Okay. Uh, so one just one way that I personally deal with that kind of thing of. Like I'm uncomfortable with when I was at the, I was a DNC I was a delegate at the DNC for Bernie, and some a lot of people were like really aggressively protesting. I have friends that like really aggressively protest, and I'm uncomfortable with that personally. But what I like to do is I like to put my camera on them and let them do their thing, which is good from a number of points of view. Number one, it allows me to stay who I am, what I'm comfortable with. It shows them that I'm okay with something different because I'm giving them a bigger voice to do what they're doing. So um, I, I find that to be a good strategy to, to anyway, I, I don't know. I don't have a good conclusion for that, but that's just what it made me think of. Um, so let's get into you. We talked about some criticisms of the Bernie campaign. And one of these criticisms was for me personally, I have three. Number one is media that I don't think you should be, given what we've spoken about before we spoke, what I would say is, I don't think you should be stepping in the door of mainstream media because their job is to tear us down, not to inform, um, understanding these new things I've, I'm learning today. So that's my one thing that he kept on going, mainstream media kept on going, kept on going. I think he's, I think that is one of his biggest successes that he's had of recent is with his, uh, his uh, online town halls, which have totally gone, gone around uh, mainstream media, including tonight, is the next one uh, about uh, bosses facing their workers, which is that's that's great. My second cr criticism is modern money that I, he says a lot of misleading things about modern money. He's improving on that somewhat. And then the third thing, well, actually, sort of four, but the third is ignoring the corruption during the primary. And then the fourth thing is that he he perpetuates Russia. He's he's not crazy like he doesn't do it all the time like others, but he does. So. I think you would agree with some of that stuff. And you also have an additional thing where you've said yourself to me, and I heard you say it on to uh, Anoa Changa, that the corruption was not the only thing that caused his loss. And I think from your point of view that you, that the black outreach was probably the biggest, if, if not one of the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason that he lost. So yep. your criticism of the campaign and the black outreach and so on. I mean, I was the black outreach director, right? So maybe I had a lot to do with that. But on the same token, like I, you know, I didn't make finalized decisions on on that campaign, you know. And um, you know, they prioritized different things. Like they 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 prioritized the the they prioritized you know other states over the black states. I mean, it's just a, like you don't even have, I don't even have to get into it. You could just look at you could just look at what happened in the South. Um, I gotta push back on you a little bit about not going on mainstream media also. And this is one more thing. Do you know where black voters and Latino voters get their news from? It's probably Facebook, but a lot of them, a lot of voters get their news from the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. And they know that it's BS. They know the mainstream media is BS, right? But you need truth tailors on mainstream media if that's where some of your venues are. And that's where, that's where some of your people are, right? Like, so, like, I mean, because you're talking about in Houston and in Detroit, people don't even have access to the internet in fairways. That's another, that is another, you know, a social, that's another social uh, uh, justice issue. 
their access to the internet is a very big social justice issue in black and brown neighborhoods, right? Access to media, right? So, so that's why with the FCC uh, ending net neutrality, it's going to hurt black and brown families a lot more than anybody else because we already have a, a tough time getting internet in our neighborhoods. So what do they have? They have cable television. They have, they have mainstream media to watch. So, you know, in order, we got to be able to push messages to people. I mean, we can't just not step into the mainstream media space. And even Bernie knew that. Like, there were people who only knew about Bernie Sanders because people were talking about him on CNN, right? That, that's a factual thing. Everybody's not on the internet like that. Mm -hmm. the, the DNC is not the only reason why. Senator but Sanders before you before you go on to the DNC, if I may, can I respond to that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so uh, a couple things. Yes, Grandma and a lot of the communities that don't have internet, they are stuck watching CNN. That is their source of truth, as close as they can get to it. And they're not, you know, a lot of them are not stupid that they realize that it's not truth, but it's all they got. Grandma, I don't know, maybe she doesn't know that it's not truth, but my philosophy is, yes, I don't, I don't, from me personally, me personally, I don't want to go on the mainstream media. I don't want to protest mainstream media. I don't want, I think if you go on mainstream media and you should, there's nothing wrong with going on mainstream media as a progressive to say with the truth. However, you're saying it and it actually working it's all the way working itself all the way to the viewer's eyes goes through a funhouse hall of mirrors. Maybe you don't show up at all. Like you said that your segment didn't show up on, in some sense on the internet or something. Maybe it's edited. Maybe, you know, it, it is not just simply going on. It is working your way. That information has to work its way through the funhouse hall of mirrors in order to get to grandma and all the communities that watch CNN. So I don't think it's that simple, but that said, what I personally choose to do, is I don't spend my energy on trying to change CNN and all that. I want to spend my energy on enhancing new media so that in the long term that shines brighter and that gradually people see it and start peeling away from CNN. That's more long term, but that's what I choose to do. But there is, there is nothing wrong, in my opinion, with those who choose to fight CNN, choose to go on and do that because they don't want to let go of grandma or these communities that are on the internet. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's important to fight these things from all these different angles. For me personally, I don't choose to do it that way myself, but I don't see anything, I don't see anything wrong with people who disagree with me and choose to hit it from a different angle because it's all, it's all for the same purpose. It's all for the same ultimate goal. Yep, I agree. I, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, uh, and to be, to be honest with you, like, if if that if those mediums are inclusive, I don't mind that. Uh, I was going to move on to the, the DNC. Uh, a lot of people Please. think that the only reason that Bernie Sanders lost his election was because the DNC cheated him. And 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 the DNC, you know, they did some pretty messed up stuff. Trust me, I know I was there, right? But you know, if just like Russia is not the only reason that Hillary Clinton lost her election, you know, Russia didn't Russia didn't tell Hillary to to not go to uh, the Midwest and talk to African-American voters, right? Uh, and the DNC didn't tell Bernie Sanders to not go to Mississippi and run advertisements, you know, to <laughs> the African-American voters in the South, right? So, so you know, it, it's, it's, it's a multitude of things. And what we have done is we've made an enemy out of the DNC and we haven't, and we haven't fully addressed 
the intersectionality of our own campaigns in our own universe, right? So what that does is that allows the same people to make the same bad decisions again in order for us to win campaigns. My critique over Bernie and his outreach was never um, was never to hurt Bernie. I think Bernie was going to be the greatest president that we've seen in a long time. But here's the thing. Uh, the critique is to make him better. The critique is always to make the people that you care about the most better, right? And yep. a lot of people in the movement think that cr criticizing anybody is just bad. And you're supposed to just deal with it and just get over it, right? But if we make the same decisions, like who am I to be a former black outreach director for a presidential campaign and then, and then not be truthful about the level of outreach that was done and what needed to be done differently, right? And it might be my fault. It might be some the campaign manager's fault. It might be Bernie's fault. It might be the South's fault, right? It might be Hillary Clinton's fault. But the thing is, you still have to do the work in order for voters to come and vote for you. That's that's just a factual thing. And that's not a personal thing, right? That's not like, I'm not being mean or lashing out against Senator Sanders. I love the guy. I mean, I really love the guy. But you can't make the same decisions. You can't ignore a whole sloth of vote of voters and expect it to be and expect and then say it's the DNC's fault because I'm I'm going to always say no nah, it's not completely the DNC's fault right and I know it's right and there's a lot of other people who know that that's right right it's just that, that you know in this business is a business of narratives media is a business of narratives is that simple and and the narrative from the progressive left was it's fully the DNC's fault and we've never had a conversation about progressives and people of color and what what we do to address their issues and that's one of the main causes of it was this was the sanders campaign it is what it is i i totally agree with what you said about criticism and from again from my point of view it's you can't criticize the democratic candidate because they're only going to win by a whisker and that your criticism may very well push the republican over the edge and that's a position of well we need a different candidate but people are so stuck in this short term, you know, if, if the Republican comes in, then my life will truly be bad and people genuinely will die. And it's like, at what point do we change this? At some point, we got we to gotta sacrifice ourselves, our current situation for the future generations. So that's my, my, that's my experience with that. And I think Bernie Sanders absolutely can handle the criticism. And I don't. I'm, I'm curious to see <clears throat> some of the reactions that you've had of don't criticize him because I know that he's, his truth is able to handle that. And um, so, so back to the, so back to the, the black outreach. So you, you have a problem with how he handled black outreach and you think that no, that's a big I, factor in how he failed. You think that's a big factor of why he lost. I, I mean, obviously the DNC contributed something, but you know, I have a more narrow view of that, but he did at some point, like the, the Erica Garner commercial, which was very special and killer Mike stuff, which was, which was, yeah. those were two like real magical moments. But I think that you're going to tell me, I think that you're, you're going to respond to this of that. It was too little too late that he should have been doing this long, long, long no, before. I just, think, I just think that the priorities were different. Right. And I mean, like, listen, if I was to sit up here and say that he didn't do anything to, to talk to black voters, I would be lying. Right. But you know, the attention wasn't the same as they put on, you know, different parts of the country. It's just a, it's just a factual thing, right? Like, and let me let you know something. Yeah, the me criticizing has affected me, right? There are people who actively work against everything that I say and do, 
right now who are probably even watching this program or see this program and do something like, hey, Marcus Farrell is back at it again, and he's doing this, that, and the other, because they can't accept the criticism of factual things, right? Like, and that's just that's just fragility, and I've and I've gotten over that. But I'll be damned if I don't tell my truth and tell the truth about to make it, him better. See, I wouldn't mind seeing good faith criticism versus bad faith criticism. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't mind seeing a Bernie Sanders twenty twenty, right? I wouldn't mind seeing that at all, right? But but it's not going to happen if they do the same things that they did last time, right? And you can't just try to blame me for it. Like I wasn't the reason that resources didn't go to some of those states. The executive decisions never came down to me or to anyone else. So because I know what venue I'm on, I'm gonna be very careful, but I'm gonna be very direct about this also. I'm gonna be very direct. Like criticism is not a bad thing. You can get better, right? You can win this election if you just are intersectional and actually have people that you listen to instead of having people who think they know it all and then want to criticize and then gaslight. That's a bad thing. And that's what happened to me personally. I have my own story about that campaign that wasn't the most sexy thing in the world, right? It wasn't all peaches and cream on that campaign. Um, but he can get better and he can be the president of the United States if there are people around him that are more intersectional, that have understanding of communities that they're talking to. And that's something that just did not happen at a major scale. And you can't just decide to blow off black people. You can't do so, that. Okay, so, so let's talk about, so you must, I, I don't know when you got on the campaign, but I'm curious of your perspective of the earliest that I'm aware of, the earliest major thing that happened on the campaign related to African-American outreach, which was the Black Lives Matter protest, I believe, in May of 2015. So do you remember that? Can you speak on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can speak to it. But, you know, I don't I kind of sort of don't want to keep going about the black outreach on, on Bernie's campaign because it is what it is. Right. Um, you got. Well, well, let me, well, well, let me just ask for. Yeah, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you got to understand something. There are people who personally get upset and and want to create, you know, want to just brush it under the rug that, that it wasn't a thing. Right. And I've been getting personally punished by speaking to the media just in general about criticism, just what we can do better, right? Like how we, like, I'm going to tell you something. If you notice something, there have been two books that came out about the 2016 campaign and, the, and, and, and Senator Sanders. And not, three books actually, and only one of them mentioned the Black Outreach staff. Like the 20 or so odd African-American paid people who bust their ass on that campaign every day trying to do something that, you know, had never been done before, right? And some of those folks have gotten punished because they realized that they were just a part of that department, right? So I've got to be very careful about this interview. I'll be very honest. I'll be very careful about this interview just because there's other people that I have to protect. But I'm, so okay. I'm going to end it like this right here. Bernie could have did better. He can do better if he surrounds himself by people who understand intersectionality and definitely never try to pit African-Americans against each other. You know exactly who I'm talking to. Don't try to pit African-Americans against each other on, on a campaign. And lastly, make sure that, that you uh, don't tokenize folks. Like, have if you want leadership, let, let them lead. That's it. That's all I got to say about that. Okay, let me ask one last thing, which you'll tell me if you're not comfortable saying it, but, but I think it's not as bad, which is 
how has he been doing more recently as far as preparing Absolutely. i'll say oh, you know, preparing for, for for 2020 how has he been doing as of late with that great he's been doing great he endorsed stacy abrams um he he endorsed ben jealous he's you know he's going to mississippi without cause and and marching with auto workers Man, no he's been doing great like it's, it's been a complete 360 from where he was on the campaign in 2016. He's been doing great. So I, I'm like, I like what I see from the Senator right now. And I personally think that he has a very un better understanding and nuance of, of campaigning to the black community, right? Like I'm a black guy. I've been black my whole life. So on that 2016 campaign, like uh, I know somebody likes to tell the Senator that I'm incompetent. Well, I, and I like to tell that person, yeah, well, you should have got rid of me a long time ago if I was that incompetent, right? So don't I don't want to know, I, I no longer want to hear any negative thing about about me because and about the senator like it's not negative I just want criticism and I think the criticism is valid and and I want him to be the president I wanted him to be the president so bad at that point that I really think the criticism is necessary for us to have a a, a, a Democrat like or a person like Bernie Sanders be the next be the next uh, nominee so we can beat Donald Trump, right? So all of these things are very important for us to defeat Donald Trump and the regime that's going on right now that's going to hurt people of color worse than anybody anybody else has. Supreme Court picks are on the line. So yes, I'm going to complain about my favorite candidate not doing the right thing. It's just what has to happen in order for us to get better. I agree. Okay, so can we touch on a, a more difficult subject, which is what you said before, which is that your cousin was shot by police, I believe it was 2013. Mm -hmm. So could you, could you give us a background to that? And um, I have a couple questions about it. Yeah, my cousin Jonathan Farrell was shot, uh, was a former football player from Florida A&M University. He's from Tallahassee, Florida, my hometown. Was shot and killed um, in, by a, a Mecklenburg County a police officer in 2013. He had got into a car accident, uh, was obviously dazed and confused, knocked on someone's door at, late at night. The lady called the police on him, thought he was trying to break in the house, but he wasn't trying to break in the house. He was trying to get help because he had just got into a car accident. He literally kicked the back out. He couldn't even open his car door. He had to, he kicked the back uh, window out. Uh, the police showed up. He sees the police and he's like, oh, thank God I got some help because, you know, and he runs towards the police with his hands up, hands wide open and runs towards the police and um, ends up uh, getting shot um, eight times. He fell. He was on all fours and they shot him eight times. Uh, and, um, you know, that police officer didn't get arrested. Uh, my family got awarded a, a settlement, but that'll never take up, take back. The fact that my my cousin, like honestly, the money's not even justice. The cops should have gone to jail, but we'll never get we'll never get Jonathan back, um, you know. And 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 it's problematic. It's um so 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 I have a personal vested interest in making sure that cops are accountable and that police officers stop shooting black unarmed black men because it happened to my family, uh, and it happens to a lot of black families around the nation. All right. Well, that's horrible. Obviously, I'm sorry about that. Um, was was there any others before I ask questions about this? Were there any other shootings that were obviously not this close? But were there any other shootings that you were personally reasonably close to? 
every single shooting that happens, I'm close to. Every single shooting that happens, every time an unarmed black man gets killed, I'm close to it. Because it could be okay. me. All right, well, you get what I was saying, but forgive me. Yeah, but I, um, what, I, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, like, I'm an organizer, and I'm an activist, and I'm also a, candidate, a political candidate for office. Every time somebody gets shot and killed, it doesn't matter if I don't even know that person or not. Every single one of those instances is, is something that hurts me personally. All right. So, Fair so, enough. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, even if I don't know the family, it hurts me personally. I, I, I hurt with the family because, you know, I know that policing is unjust in America right now. I know that profiling is real in America right now. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So there's two angles of the story, which I, I'm honestly a little. I brought this up with you personally because I wasn't just going to bring this up out of the blue. Um, but there's two. There's two elements of this story that I think is probably with every story that I want to get your feedback on. And the first one is um, basically victim blaming that in this kind of situation, they try and there's an element of trying to make the, vic the victim into basically the perpetrator that he somehow deserved it. And on the Wiki Wikipedia page for your cousin, it actually talks about um, alcohol level and, and, uh, he, the words not rushed the cop, but ran towards the cop. You said that yourself. So trying to, it, you know, sort of implying that somehow he deserved the force that was, that was used against him. And I see this a lot in many instances of this type. And even to the extent of just like poor people that somehow, you know, they're trying to cheat the system and just, you know, suck off the system where it's this concept of taking the victim and turning them into basically the perpetrator that they deserve what they get. So if you, if you could address those two things. You mean institutionalized racism and implicit bias is a thing in America? Yeah, of course it's a thing in America. Um, you, you know, look, I'm a 6'4", 280-pound uh, African-American uh, man. If you see me down the street, and even Hillary Clinton said it, like, and if I had a hoodie on, you'd be a little intimidated. Why? Right? I'm not knowing that I'm also a lifelong NAACP member that was Bernie Sanders' National African American Outreach Director that's politically tied to Nina Turner, Bernie Sanders, and so many other uh, uh, high-profile uh, people. Right? Um, and I can't, you know, we don't even have to go into it. Implicit biases is just a real thing. Hence, and that, that's bigger than just physical presence. That's also intelligence level. That's also why we get so much, you know, paternalistic actions towards African-American people. It's just a real thing. Um, if, I'm, if I'm walking down the street, listen, I bought a house in Willow. And I bought a house in Willow and I walked to a restaurant. And when I came back, one of my neighbors had called the cops on me and said that there was a strange black man walking around the neighborhood. My own neighborhood. I bought the house. Um, bias in America is so normal that black people just, just basically every black person, you know, can say, Hey, you know what? Something really messed up has happened to me in the past. Every single African-American, you know, probably can say that if you've hit the age of 30 or 40, you can say that. Um, so if we're going to dismantle policing like this, we can only, we can, we have to, it has to start with white people teaching themselves white power structure teaching themselves. 
because I can't force you to make to make you think that I'm harmless. I can't. I just can't do it. I can't force a police officer to think that if you're wearing a certain style of clothing that you that you automatically or your skin tone automatically makes you look like you have a gun, or your cell phone or your skin tone makes your cell phone automatically turn into a weapon. Like I, we, there's nothing that I can do about that. That's on white folks. That, that's that's on white people to change that because we can't change. It's almost at a place in America where black and Latino people can't exist without, just can't exist without, you know, someone calling the cops on us, somebody pulling us over, uh, someone not giving us a loan, someone saying that we don't belong here, someone thinking that, you know, why are you here, right? Because our existence is just uncomfortable for a lot of white America. And that's just a factual thing. Okay. Um, so we've been going for a little while. So, so why don't you say what's going to be happening from here as far as your own campaign? How are things right. looking in your own campaign? What are you going to be doing? And going, when's your election? And then going forward, are you going to be doing anything with Bernie 2020 or any other campaigns? Yeah, so uh, my election is August 7th. To the 15 people that are currently streaming us right now, you can go to www.ferrellfor24.com. That's F-E-R-R-E-L-L-F-O-R, the number two, the number four, dot com. And sign up to volunteer, make some phone calls for our campaign. Uh, I think you've seen the kind of human being that I am right now. Um, and also donate. You know, we need as many contributions as we personally can, can get. Uh, being a black progressive, being a progressive and not having the name of Bernie Sanders uh, means that we don't, I don't have millions and millions of $27 donations, but uh, anything will do. Uh, what I plan on doing is running this election, you know, August 7th, the ballots go out, August 28th, the election is, uh, that's the election day. Uh, I'm putting our best foot forward. We ha I have a strong, diverse team who does a lot of phone calls, makes a lot of door knocks. I have seven people in the race. So it's going to be a very highly, a very high competitive race for this one state house seat. Uh, it's the same seat that Kirsten Cinema used to have. Uh, it's, it's considered one of the power seats of Arizona uh, because LD24 is one of the crown jewels when it comes down to progressives in Arizona. Um, uh, what I'm going to do, no matter what, is keep working on progressive values. I'm a diversity and inclusion consultant by trade. I'm also a uh, I'm also a community organizer by trade. So no matter if I win or lose, I'm still going to keep doing the work that needs to be done for all of our communities to be a better place. Uh, and I will forever be advocating for progressives. And I and I will and until we get to the place of having equality for for progressives of color, uh, you know, I might even start my own television show or start my own internet show myself just to make sure that there are there is equal representation in the progressive movement. Great. Okay. So just briefly, uh, what are some of the major other competitors that you have? Uh, I, I've always been taught that you don't necessarily talk about your competitors because I'm not giving anybody any free name ID. So let me just say this right here. My, um, my race is competitive. I'm the most progressive person in the race. Um, uh, and, and to be quite honest with you, uh, you know, we have, we have a diverse slate of people for the first time running in this seat, uh, running for this seat. We, have, you know, there's a there's a woman of the disability community. There's a uh, there's Indian American brother that's running. There's a, there's two women that are running. A nurse, right? There's a Latino brother that's that's running, and there's me. There's I'll be, and I'm the first African American to ever qualify to run for this seat. 
Um, so it's, it's sort of a it's, it's sort of a historical thing, just being able to run. And the Republican that you're going to ultimately be against, or is there a lot of competition on that side? There's as well? a Republican. There's a Republican, but this is a D plus uh, D plus twelve uh, seat. Whoa! So yeah, so he, he, he's <laughs> he's running he's running just to prove a point. He's not going to win a general. Okay, and then uh, what's uh, aside from your race? What what's looking ahead for you? Well, so. You know, I'm, I'm going to push Stacey Abrams in Georgia. I'm going to make sure that a progressive uh, runs. I'm going to go for the progressive in the presidential campaign. I'm, you know, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping David Garcia wins out here in, in, in Arizona. Uh, I'm hoping Ben Jealous wins. I'm hoping Andrew Guillen wins over there in Florida. Um, you know, I, I hope the young, the young brother uh, wins, uh, wins up in, in, um, in Michigan. Uh, why am I forgetting his name? I just tech. I just I just t tweeted him a couple of seconds ago. But I, I'm, names too. I can totally identify. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm going to always continue to push progressive candidates, um, and, and you know, and probably end up end up either consulting progressive campaigns across the nation. That's what's next for 2020. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm a free agent right now until someone announces, and then when someone announces, I'll make up my mind if they're talking to my community or not. I'm gonna be very, I'm gonna be very honest and open about this right here. Um, there will no longer be blind voting for me, right? I don't care who you are. You have to speak to my community's issues uh, at, at this time, and I'm telling my community to do that in the primary, especially for the 2020 primary. There will be no free passes, right? Um, you're not gonna ignore issues of people of color. You're not gonna be able to to go into a presidential primary this time and not say this is how I plan on handling the, the prison to, to school to prison pipeline. This is how I plan on handling uh, ex uh, excessive force cases in the, uh, for, against black and Latino uh, people. This is how I'm going to handle, uh, um, you know, uh, poverty when it comes down to America. Like, you're going to have to talk about those issues for me to support you. Um, and, and I'm going to make sure that it's brought up every single day. All right, well, I, I'm very grateful for you doing this. I'm very grateful for you allowing me to ask questions that I'm not totally comfortable asking, but I think they're important. Um, so that's, that's nice of you. Um, uh, I saw something that you said on Twitter in a long thread that you had. I don't recall exactly the subject of what it was about, but basically, oh, oh yeah, something about going somewhere inappropriate to apologize for something that a racist that they did. So they went to some like chicken shack or something to apologize. And you were like, why are yeah. you doing that? And, and the, the phrase that really stuck out to me in that thread was you said, apologize with policy. Your words don't matter. Apologize with policy. And I think that's, I think that's a really elegant way of saying something that I've been trying to, to put words around for a long time. Um, so yeah, so, so I mentioned to you that, I, that modern money is very important to me. Like that's an understatement. It's a big part of my life. You are a state candidate, so it's not directly uh, applicable to your race, but um, as I mentioned to you, if there was ever a time that you might be interested in talking about that, it is change the world stuff. It is just very, I just want to say very briefly that, you know, Bernie Sanders taught us that money in politics is the root of all evil. And he showed us what's wrong and he showed us everything that we need, money, uh, Medicare for all and so on. But the one thing I don't think that he taught us was how to actually get that stuff. And modern money teaches us how to, why we don't actually have it and how we can actually get it. So if that's something that ever interested you or the people that, you, that are around you, as I mentioned to you, 
I would love to talk again with you and maybe get into that because there's really nothing more important. Absolutely, I'm down. Just let me uh, let me know. I'm 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 in. I I would be very interested, and we could do it just like this. We could do it live. I'll be very interested in uh, spending a couple of moments learning about modern money from you. I would love that. And in fact, since August seventh is right around the corner, we might as well, regardless of whether you win or lose, which of course you're going to win. But when you went after August seventh, I think might be an appropriate time so you can concentrate on the end of your race. It's only a few weeks. And then, uh, then we'll, we'll talk. I wish you the best of luck. I am very grateful for your time. Um, and even on the phone privately, that was a really great conversation. Um, so uh, best to you, Marcus, and thanks for being with us. Thank you very much, sir. I hope we talk soon.